on the journey to finding out who we are, a lot of the time we come into contact with what we are. Are we a child? Are we um, an adult? Are we a son? Are we a daughter? Are we lost? Are we found? What labels can people give to us? Um, People can call me a writer. People can call me a lover. People can call me a poet. People can call me um, an ex-innovation director. People can say that I'm an ex-employee. People can say that I'm a problem. But those labels that they give me are what I am to them, in their opinion. And one of the things we know is that other people's opinions and of us, they're not our business. But what we label ourselves as, people ask me what I am, I might say artist, I might say writer, I might say I don't know. But that's a label, that's a what. Professionally, I might be a consultant. Some people might call me a strategist. Certainly not in the advertising sense of the world. I'm not smart enough to do that for a living. But a lot of times, as I discussed last week, I can see things that other people can't. I call myself an opportunist. Um, I might be an entrepreneur. Um, it depends, really, on how I'm seeing myself in that particular moment. And the question is, is am I truly seeing myself, the true me, with my own eyes? Or am I allowing them to be filtered by something? Nietzsche wrote that culture is designed to distract us from the truth, from reality. And a lot of the times we know that the culture we come into contact with, it skews our way of seeing the reality in which we live, the world in which we live. And we can become convinced that the filters that we're using in order to see things, that they are giving us an accurate representation. But that's not true. And the only way we can actually see ourselves, consider ourselves, is without criticism and without judgment. And Tara Brock will tell us that it's about something called acceptance or even radical acceptance, where we have to understand that the reason why people won't love themselves, the people why we won't love ourselves completely, the people why we won't, the reason why we won't understand ourselves and accept ourselves is because we're afraid that if we do so, we'll become complacent, we'll become comfortable, and we won't get better. We won't strive. We won't excel that the idea of accepting our position is something that we are programmed not to do, that we're supposed to remain uncomfortable and we're supposed to remain dissatisfied.
the thing about that kind of programming is it goes even further to distract us. It goes even further from making us realize that there are things about our lives that it would be good to understand, comprehend, and feel in order to be able to really understand who we are and why we're feeling the way we're feeling at the moment, in the moment, at the present. When I think about who I am, I always start my journey with the long and sordid tale of all of the places I've ever lived. I was born to a single mother. My father left us while she was pregnant, came back, and then left again. I think I celebrated my first birthday in the home I was brought to after the hospital. And depending on who tells the story, that might not have been my first home. So we really begin to understand that there's a lot of complicated history in my life before I even started to understand where I was. And by the time I recognized where I was, not long after my first birthday, I have a single memory. And then beyond that memory, I know that I spent a year and a half away from my mother in Jamaica, perhaps even in the Bahamas for a short period of time as well. And the issue there becomes, quite frankly, that while I didn't bond with my mother, that's another issue. The thing that began to occur caused a high school guidance counselor once to ask me if we were living our lives on the run, if we were living our lives trying to avoid something. Knowing my mother's history, it's very possible that we were, and not something that wasn't inside of her. Joseph Campbell's quote applies here, that all of the gods and all of the monsters and all of the heavens and all of the hells are within us. I know what my mother was running from, why she was moving me from place to place, why she was willing to spend so much time away from me, why she continues to lie about a stage of my childhood where she will show me a picture and say, that was the first day that you were in New York. And we're in New York in the picture. But there's another picture of me that she doesn't know I've seen. Older, at a birthday party. She clearly arranged for me not to see my father while we were in England, living at my godmother's. But my aunt had clearly arranged for me to have a birthday party with my cousins. And there we were in my grandmother's extension, those famous French doors behind me, the sunlight filling the room. My oldest cousin diagonally from me, my youngest cousin across from me. And in that picture, there's so much that's revealed about my life. 
and it makes a lot of the memories that I have of that time make a lot of sense. And then we're in New York. And once we're in New York, obviously for the second time, what starts to unfold very quickly is we moved a lot. I mean, recently I've discovered that I really do tie my identity to a bureaucratic process, whether I like it or not, whether it's what people would say the truth is. And when I say my identity, I mean my my legal status, my official identity, not who I think I am. And as a result, as I wait for my documentation to clear a bureaucratic process and set me free, I've come to realize that when they confirmed the address that they were going to send my documents to and return some documents that I provided to them as evidence, it triggered a thought in me that I didn't think was possible. And upon analysis, it turns out that since 1971, which is when I left Jamaica, I have lived nowhere for more than four years. It's incredible to think that. I know people have childhood homes. I do not. I know people have places where their parents have lived longer than they've been alive. I do not. I know that people have places that they go home for the holidays. I have never had that. It's rare that I've spent a holiday, any holiday, with the same person in a row. And the interesting thing is that where I have lived has for so many years been a mystery because I've never really thought about it or analyzed it. But now that I have as part of a process that I'm going through to become more educated in how people deal with their mental health I've discovered that there was a gap in my own self-knowledge. And that's what I'm sharing with you today. That I never lived anywhere for more than four years. I mean, even going back as an adult, I mean, I've lived in London, I've lived in Zurich. Um, I've lived in Miami, I've lived in Birmingham before that, where I was, uh, where I was married. Um, I've lived in New York, I lived in New Jersey, I've lived in New York, (laughs) 
before that in high school. I went to high school in Miami. But at none of those times did I spend more than four years in a single place. Most people in New York start high school in ninth grade. We did not. I completed ninth grade at a junior high school. And then when I got to Florida, the high schools that I went to did not have a ninth grade. They had a 10th grade, which I started. And by the time I finished 10th grade, I'd already lived in three different houses. That was when the guidance counselor, while transferring me from one school to another, asked me, are we on the run? Is there something that we're trying to protect ourselves from? And I remember thinking, maybe. I was still programmed to protect whatever there was of our family story. To not be open enough or answer questions directly. But when I think back now to what was going on, I realized that my father wasn't in the picture. I mean, I had lived with him for a year and a half, but that was a disaster, less than a year and a half. December of 1980 to April of 1982. Yes, 41 years ago this April, (laughs) this Easter, actually, I returned to... New York. And within two years, I was living in Miami. And within, while we lived in Miami and I went to high school, we lived in three different houses. And then I left. I had to leave. I came to England for a while and did some, um, what are known as A-levels. And then I did those in a year. And then I traveled around Italy, mostly. And then um, I worked a little bit. And then in January of 89, I went back to Miami. But again, to a different house. Now, my mother lived in that house for many years, but I didn't. I didn't stay there for very long at all. I lived somewhere else during that time, and then I moved to New York. And everybody knows what it's like to live in New York. You live in a number of different places. I lived in Weehawken on Boulevard East, which overlooks the Hudson River. And I lived um, in Hoboken. As everybody knows, we lived on Washington Street, 300 Washington. It's still there across from Arthur's. And then lived around the corner in a new building on River. Still there, obviously. And um, all of that was a product of uh, being at Chase and meeting people there and Kim Scrappitz um, lived in an apartment with two other women, and one of them got married, and Kim got engaged, and the third one didn't know what she was going to do. When Billy and I first moved into that apartment, she was still there. She actually showed us a picture of her and her rich boss on the cover of a magazine, (laughs) and then um, she told us the most amazing story about taking her ex-boyfriend to Camden Yards to see the Orioles and the Yankees on opening day 
and he broke up with her on the drive down there. And they still went to the baseball game. <laughs> the three and a half hour extra innings extravaganza that it turned into with Cal Ripken playing for the Orioles, by the way. And then <laughs> returning back. So many stories and so many people and so many different scenarios unfold in all of these places where I lived. But sometimes I know that that helps define me as well. Not only the experiences, but also the idea that there are so many experiences inspired by so many different places and so many different people that I've interacted with and even lived with. And how it is unbelievable to me now that I ever tried to understand or relate to somebody who didn't understand and try to relate to me. Why was I trying to see people that couldn't see me? Why was I trying to hear people that couldn't hear me? Why was I putting my energy into people that were dismissive of my experience? I mean, I know why. I was told very openly once by a father who thought that I was trying to date his daughter. The opposite was actually true. We were just friends. That, you know, somebody like me was a gypsy to them, to his family, compared to his family is the way he put it. And that I, you know, had lived in so many places and been so many different people in these instances, because that's what life on the road requires, is the way he described it. And what I described to him was the idea that despite everything I can think of, I've always known people who had it worse. I volunteer now and I see people who have it worse every day. People who are deluded and people who are lost and people don't have an understanding of who they are. And these are people who have never gone anywhere or done anything. Whereas I've been fortunate enough to not only visit over 30 countries, but also live a life where I, I feel loved. But I also feel as though my experience is valid. And I also feel as though all of the places that I've ever lived, even though I've never lived anywhere for longer than four years, they've contributed to the sense that the reason why I create is not only because of the experiences I've had, but because of the emotional experiences that I've had as a result of my surroundings. One of the things I would invite you to do is to reflect on where you have lived and how that may or may not have molded the person that you are, the who you are. I think it's a good exercise because what I've discovered doing the exercise, doing the work, is that it's easy not to criticize and not to judge where you've lived. 
And even if it wasn't the best place and it did cause some kind of wound, reminder that when I say the word trauma, I talk about the wound and not the event, the resulting wound, the injury, and not the event that might have occurred to create it. That there is a desperate sense. And I say desperate because one day it's possible to wake up in a panic over this very question, which is, what did I leave behind in all of those places? And what did I take with me? And did I take anything that hurts me? Or did I take anything that's non-toxic? Or did I actually take something that's healing me? Or is therapeutic? I genuinely get the sense that as I take a look at where I lived, I do avoid any kind of judgment or criticism of my parents and my family because they had nothing to do with it. I have to believe that I gravitated towards all of these experiences and instances because this was the lesson that I was supposed to learn. And once it was within my control, I tried to be a lot more stable. I certainly have lived as an adult in places for a lot longer than I did when I was a child. Because when it was in my control, I tried to stay tethered. I tried to stay anchored. And I tried to become parts of a community. So, again, no criticism, no judgment. This week we were going to talk about forgiveness. I was going to explain that I don't believe it exists. That I think if somebody forgives you, there is something going on that they have to deal with. But I'll get into that more next week. Because this week, I just wanted to make sure that despite the fact that this is a Tuesday episode of the podcast, that everybody realized that we are on a journey that I have been on. I have taken all of the steps that I'm asking you to take with me. And I am fully aware of where they lead for me. And you're going to get nothing but truth from me about where I've ended up. Next week, we're going to talk about the fact that people often talk about forgiving one another and how important that is. Well, I'm Martin Johnstone, and I disagree. <laughs>